and welcome back to another episode of Mother's Room Podcast, the podcast all about gin. And all the mischief and mayhem that it's caused. Indeed. Speaking of which, what we're doing this week? This week we're going to do part two of our history of Geneva. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be fun. We've also got a gin of the week. Which gin would that be? That would be Isle of Harris That's what I'm gin. slewing down now. Yes, yeah? it is indeed. So we're going to talk a bit about this exquisite... It's a very, very special gin, this one, isn't it? 100%. And we're going to have a quick interview with the brand ambassador from the Isle of Harris as well. So really excited about that. Um, we've had a fun week, haven't we, Matthew? We have. We went on. Uh, we went all live on the radio. We didn't did because we? we got recognised for being a brilliant podcast. Match. How did we get recognised as well? Not just by BBC Radio, but by the Pod Bible. Yes, um, huge thank you to the Pod Bible for giving us a mention. The Pod Bible is an organisation um, that I think was founded by Scroobius Pip, yeah. the awesome, the awesome uh, rapper. rapper. Yeah. is it rap? Is it uh, po- kind of spoken word? Street poetry. Yeah, type yeah, he's brilliant. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Like, Thou shalt not kill is one of my favourite. Oh, it's fantastic. That. I love that tune. And um, he is uh, he's set out to recognize and collate some of the best podcasts around and thank you so much for featuring us yeah, in the latest got, uh, edition mention. of the pod bible yeah. um, and thanks to podbean as well who put us up uh, for world gin day world special. Gin special um i wanted to say thanks to caleb o'neill for uh, actually putting us in touch with the pod bible yep. that's how we got featured caleb runs his own podcast called uh keep it on wax which is all about vinyl and music so that's been really exciting and yeah um all that stuff to come later in the episode and of course the latest gin news gin, gin news. news so i'd say tune in but that's not how it works anymore you're already tuned but get your drink ready yep drink along yeah drink along with us and our dirty dirty habits yeah There's a popped cork from Baharat. Yeah. Cotswold's Distillery's new flavour. Exotic gin. I am absolutely crazy about this gin. It's very cardamomy. Um, there you go. It's got kind of a blend of Asian spices and botanicals. So we've got some uh, coriander in there. We've got... Cumin, clove, cinnamon, black pepper, chilli and a hint of Jaffa orange. Oh, I'm head over heels in love with this. I'm having this with a bit of fever tree. And thank you, Rob, for sending us yes, this. Yes, I absolutely thank you. Because I have to say, it's storming ahead as it's, one of my new favourites. It's beautiful. Yes, it really is. It's like, so you get, it's like a poetic licence was one of our favourites. And it always like, we always mention that because it's it's the cardamom flavour that really leaps out. Yes. But this one, it's the same but then all of a sudden there's this little orangey aftertaste. Yes. Go, oh, where do you come from, you little tinker? It is exquisite and it's a beautiful bottle as well. Yeah, the design's be absolutely gorgeous. Yes, yeah, with very... these kind of mandala style patterns. Yeah. So, um, highly recommend Baharat Exotic Gin from the Cotswolds Distillery. Yes, if you can find that, buy yourself a bottle. Yeah, that's what I'm drinking. So. Big old gulp there. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so... Today, Matthew, we're going to be doing part two of the history of Geneva. Hey, because 
part one was the first episode of this season. Part two seems only right it should be part the second episode of the season. Yes, we couldn't leave you hanging for too long. Oh, I can only imagine the cliffhanger type situation <laughs> you've all been on about Geneva. Well, if you remember last time, we did leave you with the cliffhanger that Belgium had started to lose its grip as the spiritual home no. of Geneva. Yes, yeah, so this week we're going to pick up from where we left off now. Just to briefly recap, last time we began exploring why Geneva had become so closely associated with the Netherlands and we found that there'd been a massive economic shift away from Bruges and into the northern Dutch ports of uh, Amsterdam, Rotterdam and Schiedam. And then the ban on distilling in the southern low countries, i.e. Belgium, was the final nail in the coffin. Or was it? Or was it indeed? It's like one of those films where you get the end question mark. Yeah. And you think, oh, there's going to be a sequel here and there. Exactly. What's the sequel all about? Well, let's start with the Industrial Revolution. Love the Industrial Revolution. The one thing I took away from school is Jethro Tull <laughs> invented the seed drill. <laughs> We're not going back to Jethro Tull again, Jethro are we? Jethro Tull invented the seed We've drill. Talked about I this, remember Matthew. this. And, he, and if it wasn't for Jethro then we wouldn't have a seed drill. Because <laughs> what good household out there doesn't have a seed drill? What is a seed drill? It's exactly what it says on the tin. It drills a hole in the floor and puts a seed in. And why did a rock band name themselves after the invention of no the seed drill? I've got no idea about that. Okay, he we don't go. He play the flute a lot, though, didn't he? Is that right? I think so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, when the Industrial Revolution came to Europe... Jethro Industrial Revolution... <laughs> Belgium was an early adopter of the technology, particularly steam. Um, and they, Steam-powered seed drill. Yeah, I'm sure there was one at one point. Um, they already had a long history of excelling in textile production, not to mention the fact that they were sat upon huge reserves of iron and coal. That must have been uncomfortable. Get a chair. <laughs> um, yeah, pull up a reserve of iron and coal and come watch the telly with us. <laughs> The Iron Throne, so to speak. But it just so happened that the Napoleonic War of 1803 to 1816 brought with it massive demands for coal and iron, as well as textiles for military uniforms. Mm -hmm. Napoleonic Mm. War. Mm. What is it good for? Massive amounts of textiles for the military uniforms, so it's good for Belgium. Yeah. Um, and after no, it's catchy though. It's not quite as no, catchy, no. Catchy. But more historically accurate. Yes. Yes. Um, after the war, the southern Low Countries continued to flourish. So, canals were built to once again connect their cities to the sea, right. and thus the rest of the world. Do you remember last week we talked about the fact that uh, uh, they had a silty inlet? They did have a silty inlet, <laughs> which cut them off. Cranberry juice—that's what I would recommend. This yeah, is. and all the economic activity had shifted up to the northern Low Countries, which is now the Netherlands. But things were starting to pick up back in in Belgium, and then in 1830, Belgium declared its independence from the Netherlands. Now. This is good news for us because it means now for the rest of the episode we can call the southern low countries Belgium to avoid any further geographic confusion. Convenient. Yeah, for us. But it wasn't such good news for the people of Belgium at the time because the the economy took a bit of a nosedive. So we're just happy we're going to 
differentiate two countries yes but their but country plummeted, plummeted in the depression yes, all right okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay exactly so it was for over the next decade they struggled with poverty and the netherlands cut off its ports um disconnecting it again from the rest of the world then the british textile industry started to nudge ahead as well so it wasn't looking great, but Belgium showed a great deal of resilience, and by the 1850s, things had started to stabilise. Now, yeah, it's probably something to do with the seed drill. It probably was. Yeah. <laughs> they planted loads, loads of, of seeds. Yeah, made their fortunes. Yeah, but the, what does this have to do with Geneva? Please continue. I hear you ask. It's just about it. Yeah. Um, well, another important industrial development at the time was the invention of the continuous still. Mm. Now we have talked about this in earlier episodes, yes, so I'll have. only briefly touch upon it now. But an Irish man living in England by the name of Aeneas Coffey invented, him. yeah, Mr. Coffey. It's a great name, isn't it? Certainly is. um, he invented a revolutionary new type of still that was far more efficient than the traditional pot stills, where you had to produce your spirit in kind of small batches. So this dramatically sped up the distillation process and made for also a much purer spirit. It's not unusual when things speed up, they tend to make lower quality product. Mm. But he's managed to come up with something that speeds it up and makes it better. A better quality That's product. so odd. Yeah. Good old Mr. Coffee. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and over in the UK, this transformed gin production, causing a shift away from the sweetened Old Tom variety and towards the more delicate London Dry. Mm. And... Similarly, over in Belgium and the Netherlands, it revolutionised the Geneva production process. So newly independent Belgian authorities then lowered taxes on Geneva and banned Geneva imports from the Netherlands. So as a result, the number of distilleries in Belgium absolutely exploded. Mm. Yeah. So there was one distillery called the Meers Distillery. It had its own fire brigade. It had its own chapel. It could produce 50,000 litres of spirits a day. And this is back in the mid-1800s. That's insane. There wasn't that many people in the mid-1800s. Yeah, I know. So that's one fire brigade and chapel. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Imagine the scale of it. To lend them out, though. So anything else was happening. No. So it wasn't a fire the in the... city was on fire. So like, sorry, mate. Sorry, that's not doing my gin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's your own fault. You yeah. shouldn't have spilled that highly flammable gin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So these industrial production methods started to nudge us towards a new style of Geneva. Mm. It started to slowly emerge towards the end of the, the 19th century. So coupled with these technological advances, another thing happened, which is that the price and availability of corn meant it was becoming increasingly tempting to create Geneva from this cheaper grain. Why was corn going up? Do you think it was because of the seed drill? Uh, I, I actually don't, I'm afraid. You'd I think, think that would be coming down, wouldn't you? Because the seed drill was the seed so, drill would... so efficient. Yeah, but no, I think it was actually imports from um, the Americas. They had more seed drills. They probably had more seed drills than Europe. Jethro. I know. The amount of trouble he's caused. I know. <laughs> Mr. <Tull>. Taking his <laughs> seed drill, spreading it all over America. That sounds rude. No, it does. Um, so... Instead of using the traditional rye, wheat, and barley that the that had that had you know been used previously for Geneva production, we were starting to use this cheaper corn, and this started to lay the groundwork. 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 The groundwork. <laughs> this started to use this racist accent. 
<laughs> that was purely accidental. Mm. Um, the groundwork for what would become known as young style Geneva ah. after the Second World War, so a bit later. Um, also, in Amsterdam, the Bowles Company, which mm. was already 250 years old by this point. Come so, up with a maker of dinosaur piss. I know. That's insane how old that place is. 15, mid-1500s, I think it opened. Well, what were they making with? Well, the mid-1500s was when we started to shift away from Geneva as a medicine and towards Geneva as a recreational drink. So they, they uh, very early on capitalised mm. and absolutely uh, dominated the Dutch distilling uh, market. So they created this revolutionary uh, new Geneva recipe and it was made from lightly distilled Dutch grains and had a complex botanical mix. So it was perfect for... Good selling cheap. Mm, cocktails. Cocktails. That's what I was looking for. God, certainly not selling cheap. You ever try to buy a cocktail in the city centre? Yeah. Outrageous. Well, it depends if you go to the Triples Bar. Yeah. Oh, don't go to a triples bar in Newcastle, yeah. by the way. If you ever visit in Newcastle, don't go to a triples bar. You will not get out to lie. No. <laughs> or with your dignity intact. Yes, or, or you, you may kill. Yeah. Um, kill or be killed, yeah. I think is the... Uh, yeah. Um, now, who in the late 19th century fell head over heels, arse over tit for cocktails? Um, was it the fancy high-flying Americans? It was the Americans, yes, indeed. So over in the States, mixology was becoming an art form in itself as bartenders became the new alchemists in a way, bringing wealthy and fashionable Americans the cure for uh, hangovers. Eh? Yeah. The cure for hangovers is cocktails. Do you remember we talked about this, the corpse reviver? Yeah. Was the It's not it's just maintaining drunkenness though, isn't it? Of course, it just delayed it did yeah. just delayed the problem. Yeah. But cure for hangovers get pissed. Yeah. Of course it's a cure for hangovers. But but cocktails were seen as a pick me up. Crazy. I know. So besides whiskey, rum and brandy, Bowles Geneva was one of the preferred base spirits for mixing, thanks to its rich, mellow, smooth and malty taste. Not smooth, I've tasted it. It is smooth. Cur. You just don't like whiskey. A cur. A flour. Okay. I have spoken. All right. So in 1862, do you remember old Jerry Thomas? Oh, Jezzatozza. Uh, good yeah. old Jezzatozza. The, the godfather of mixology. Yeah. Uh, he wrote the world's first cocktail recipe book in which one in four cocktails contain Dutch Geneva, including the original Collins. Lack of imagination, but okay. <laughs> Um, And with cocktail culture, of course, came huge demand for uh, Geneva, uh, which was, of course, a huge boost for the industries in Belgium and the Netherlands. Now, while bowls continued to rise high into the 20th century over in the Netherlands, in Belgium, uh, Geneva production once again, I'm afraid, started to stall. Oh, Belgium takes a kick into us, just keeps it really on going. It really does, on. it really does. So, during World War One, occupying forces stripped distilleries of their copper to use for artillery shell casings. Mm. Mm. And even that wasn't the end of Belgian distillers' woes. Mm. So, as America slid headlong into prohibition, 
Belgium experienced its own, albeit lesser version of prohibition. Oh no! In 1919, yeah. I'd love to see them try to implicate that now. Mm, no. <laughs> you can't drink <laughs> seriously though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Move. Yeah, <laughs> and but it, to be fair, it wasn't in Belgium. It wasn't simply a case of you can't drink. Mm-hmm. It was more that they just banned hard liquor in uh, bars. It was called the Vandervelde Act, and uh, it meant that essentially bars could no longer serve Geneva. Now. This was an attempt to curb excessive drinking in the country. And as we've learned, it was becoming worryingly quick and cheap to churn out massive amounts of Geneva. And just like Londoners had back in the 18th century, the poor of Belgium were finding the strong liquor increasingly cheap and accessible. And we know how worried the authorities get when the poor get their hands on a good drink. Mm -hmm. Frosty Jacks, for example. Frosty Jacks? I think a really strong cider that people drink. Ten, oh, like Diamond White. Gentlemen of the Park. Right, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the bench folk. The pigeon shouters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. It's not good stuff, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And so the weird thing was, you could still buy Geneva in the shops, but here's the really weird thing you, you had to buy at least two litres of it. All right. Yeah. That's probably how. Because you can't really buy that uh, Frosty Jacks in less than two litre bottles. So there must be a certain law against certain strength stuff where you've got to get it in such bulk that it makes no sense to get. Yeah, that was the point. Yeah, so it was unaffordable. Yes. Um, but Frosty Jacks or Diamond White or whatever is not yeah. unaffordable. Even a two litre is not unaffordable. 75 pence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Per corner. <laughs> 75p per coma. <laughs> <laughs> Come and get your comas. 75 pence. Comatose. Comatose behaviour. Yeah. 70 pence a week. So, yeah, the, the plan was to price the poor out. And it did work. So, do you remember we've been talking about Veronique Van Acker's book mm-hmm. about the history of Geneva? Well, she talked to Vice about this very topic and in an interview she said before the Vandervelde Act we were all wasted. There's an old phrase Blue Monday which refers to the fact that workers used to show up with crazy hangovers after binging all weekend. She says my grandfather once told me that when he bought his first car he demanded one that was not made on a Monday. (laughs) That's how ingrained it was in our culture. (laughs) This is absolutely a rubbish car. Yeah. It's fucked. <laughs> Stuck together with sellotape. Yeah. This was just so oh God, how bad must those hangovers have been? I know. If with the cl- the cleanliness of distillation that we get now, yeah. even on LB and the brewing and even on stuff and the hangovers are still yeah. hit I mean like there's times where I've just wanted to die. Yeah. The stuff that they used to drink. God knows what that did, yeah. That mm-hmm. was basically just like drain war. Yeah. It's just like drain and clean fluid that were pouring down this, and then the next month, oh. I know. Well, it, uh, did Don't you reckon we... that's where that uh, song comes from? Blue what? Monday? I, the, what, the New Order song? Yeah. It probably is. Yeah, probably is. <laughs> and we now have Blue Monday here, where we, we say it's the most depressing day of yeah. the year, don't we? Which is like the second Monday in January. Yeah. Um, How does it feel? <laughs> terrible. Yeah. <laughs> want to die <laughs> yeah but I don't think it was Drano you know this stuff I think it was fairly reasonable quality stuff um, I think that just it's just because it was so strong and so cheap and you mm. could just you could just get your hands on it so easily 
I see. I think there was a law where employers used to pay their employees like in cafes and in bars and they banned the paying of wages in cafes and you still can't receive your wages in a cafe in Belgium even now. I think that's... I may have made that up. It sounds very much like you've slept and may woken have. up with that song have. in your head. Yeah. I do apologise, listeners. Uh, Sometimes Sarah, Sarah <laughs> likes to do that. <laughs> now, while prohibition in the States lasted a mere 13 years, have a guess how long this Vanderbilt Act lasted. How long was America? 13 years. Okay. So the Vanderbilt Act and Prohibition started around the same time. So 1919 okay. in Belgium, okay. 1920 in America. How long do you think it lasted in Belgium? I will go for 20 years. A, sl- a significant large amount. Of Higher. 40 years. Higher. Shut up. I give in. 66 years. I'd have gone 45 max. Yeah. And I wouldn't have even believed myself if I say 45. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What is wrong with Belgium? I know. So throughout the majority of the 20th century, you couldn't buy Geneva in a bar. Belgium's national drink, the drink that, you know, alchemists and early business people had toiled to create. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Crazy. Um, so that did mean that there was a place available. The for, job was for, available for best drink for new national drink. <laughs> best drink from the country. Yeah. So of course, what what came in? What stepped in to replace Geneva? In Belgium, I would expect that to have been beer. Exactly. The brewers were absolutely rubbing their hands together at this Vanderbilt Act because it meant that they could monopolize the uh, drinking market and even today you know belgium is associated with beer yeah, belgian beer belgian chocolate belgian beer mm-hmm. belgian skateboards made that one up yeah should have had them in a list and asked the uh, listeners if they knew which one i made up that would have been i'm sure they wouldn't they, have guessed never that. that never never <laughs> fools yeah uh, so the netherlands of course never experienced any such ban so mm. As such, Geneva had a new national identity. It's, it was the, the drink of the Netherlands. And now, what do you often hear prefixed before the word Geneva? Dutch. Dutch Geneva. Yeah. yeah. Even uh, sometimes referred to as Hollands. So, sadly, Belgium's legacy, Geneva-making legacy, was to some extent... Stolen. Lost. St- sort of stolen. I mean, to be fair... It had all come about when they were all this kind of mixture of low countries. I suppose it was like I suppose it was a race and Netherlands got a head start. Yeah, well, and that was how they won. Yeah, yeah. Tortoise in the hair type thing. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, now, moving forward into the middle of the twentieth century, during World War Two, imports of malt became scarce. So the Dutch, who were of course still producing, still serving Geneva, were forced to embrace new production methods using molasses from the sugar beet industry to create a more neutral base alcohol for their Geneva. Mm. And this is when young Geneva came into its own. 
So the, the young whippersnapper. the young whippersnapper, yeah, the young upstart. <laughs> so young Geneva, uh, its style is lighter and drier, with a high higher portion of neutral grain alcohol and a lower proportion of malt wine. So as we discussed last week, less whiskey like and more, dare I say it, gin like. Gin, gin, gin. Although we have to stress, completely different drink. Yep. It is not gin. Like you were saying when you received a bottle oh, yeah, of A good Geneva. friend of mine called Paul uh, McDonald. He fetches a, a bottle from... He says, oh, this is me. This is Dutch gin. And I was like, oh, it's smashing. I'll try that. Because I, ju- I was just into me gin at the time. And everyone yeah. used to say, oh, I'll try this gin. And I tried that. And I thought, and it was in a little... Uh, it was in a clear bottle. Beautiful piece of work. Lovely bit of work. And I tipped it out and it was brown. I went, oh, God, have I let this go off? Have I let it get a bit too... Clear like because mm. it's I've kept it in there. I took that drink. I just tastes like whiskey. It wasn't for me. No, but you don't like whiskey. No, and yeah. I thought, oh god, this has gone off. So and uh, I was, it's not even gin. That it's definitely whiskey. So I told him, I says, you've got his whiskey. He says, that's Geneva. He says, I'm sure that's Dutch for gin. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't know, but it was hor- It wasn't for me. And that's a really common misconception that that Geneva is. Dutch gin and it's not Geneva is is much more Geneva yeah, is almost Paul. like a, <laughs> it's whiskey really mm. if you're going to call it it's um, he made up for it though because he did give us a, a lovely bottle of Larios did he Larios 12 yes yeah, so that was yeah. nice oh well, we love a bit of Larios we use quite a lot yes. oh nice good old Paul yeah <laughs> thanks Paul um, but going back to what you said just briefly uh, about the bottle the clay bottle yes that's the one of the main hallmarks of Geneva. So yeah. it um, looked like an old-fashioned hot water bottle. Yeah, exactly. This is something I had forgotten to write into this episode, but I'm glad you mentioned that because um, the Geneva bottle is absolutely iconic. It's clay. It's usually like a brown. Yeah, yeah, like clay a, a orangey brown, red, ready orangey uh, brown clear bottle. Yeah. Yeah, and you get bottle makers who you know mm. specialise in making these bottles, and they're all unique and different, and they've all got little lumps and bumps. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a JCSE project. Yeah. So I should say, uh, yeah. glazed and uh, yeah. Like, so you. The thing with that is, I would think you'd never get the right amount or the same amount. Any bottle because there's no way you can hand make a bottle that's got the same amount of room in. Good point. I don't know how they. I don't know. Might have it. They might have a tool. Yeah. Like Jethro's seed drill. Exactly. Yeah. Like uh, the Geneva amount drill. The Geneva amount drill. Yeah. (laughs) So that would jump in, like pump it into the thing, and then they just they mould the bottle around that gap. Yeah. Quite quite possibly, Mm. or just use a certain amount of clay. Yeah. Um, but. Then I think they they get reused as well. Um, oh, take your pop bottles back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which would give them, I guess, a kind of um, it would un- po- quite possibly enhance the flavour. Mm. You know, like the whiskey barrels, they soak the flavour in. Or like if you go to certain restaurants that fry all the same food, and your chips taste like all the food that they serve. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Very unhygienic. <laughs> very tasty. So. Where were we? We were talking about young Geneva versus yep. old Geneva. So what you would have probably had, by the sound of it, is an old Geneva. It was like in the clay Geneva. bottle. It was very whiskey-like, whereas the young Geneva may well be served in a clear bottle. It's likely to be clearer in colour, and it's likely to be a little more like gin. Whereas old Geneva, it's, I guess you could call it, juniper whiskey. Mm. I mean... That I'll probably get shot in the head for 
using that term, but um, no one's going to kill you. I don't no. think I'm going to be alright. Sorry, gin fans, if you are got violent, uh, violent tendencies when people describe G- Geneva as juniper whiskey, then probably get help. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I guess you know it's whiskey with juniper and botanicals in it. Yeah. Whereas young Geneva would be more like a. We could compare it more closely to a gin, but it's yeah. still not a gin. No. So this change in style uh, during the sort of middle of the 20th century, it did put some traditional distillers out of business because the producers of the Young Geneva, not only could they produce it more quickly, but I guess maybe it was less of a niche kind of flavour. Yeah. Um, I suppose it was a cool thing as well, you know, like... uh I mean, there's plenty of things that do exactly the same job as more modern stuff, but mm. they don't look as good. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like yeah. shoes, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Trainers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Took us a while to think of an example. Right? Yeah, no, yeah, we got That's there. Fine. We got Sorry. there. Um, oh, but Old Style Geneva did continue to, to be produced alongside it, albeit at a much lesser rate. So today we have two styles of Geneva existing side by side. Some will swear that the old way is the true way, but gin fans are more likely to turn to the drier young style while whiskey fans are more likely to prefer the malty old stuff but remember old and young has nothing to do with aging so old geneva may be barrel aged but it doesn't have to be barrel aged so it's more to do with the um the process so that's where we're at and what we're finding now is that geneva is experiencing certainly a renaissance in Belgium, although they'd certainly lost their grip as the kind of the home of Geneva production, it's become very popular again in Belgium. It's still going strong in the Netherlands. It's becoming increasingly popular in America, actually. Mm. And because, you know, America traditionally whiskey drinkers and um, and now are really catching on to gin. So to then find that actually this uh, this this spirit that's been around for centuries and centuries that combines all the wonderful elements of whiskey and all the wonderful elements yep. of gin it's a nice segue isn't it's it it's a beautiful segue so i think geneva is probably i think we're probably going to be seeing more and more of it it's kind of hard to get hold of and i did want to get hold of some for this episode i didn't have time to order any and wait for any to come in the post and i could not find any in in any actual There's shops not, no i don't think I've, I've never seen it in a shop no here. So, but I, my prediction for the coming couple of years is we're going to start to see Geneva. See it creeping in. Yeah. Well, that's a fascinating um, little insight into the world of Geneva. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating drink, isn't it? Everything, everything to do with gin is a fascinating thing. Yeah, and although Geneva isn't gin, I think it's so important to talk about it because it's really, you know, it's, it's without Geneva, I don't think gin would exist. No. So we have Gen- a lot to thank Geneva for. Cheers, Geneva. Yeah. Chin chin. Right, Matthew. That's recording. Yes. <laughs> it's time for Gin of the Week. Special edition. Isle of Harris Gin. Yes. Because it's my favourite. Is it your new favourite? I think it's climbed up the ladder, you know. Yeah. It's, there's something magic about it. There, do you know what? There is something magical about this gin. Yep. And I can't even put my finger on it. 
despite doing loads of research for this segment and finding loads of amazing and cool facts about it, there's just still also something really special that I can't explain. Well, the bottle ofs. Yeah, there's the bottle, there's the taste, there's... Oh, the smell just, of it. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, let's let's open it up. It's our new bottle. Now, Matt, tell us a little bit about your visit to this event. The Scottish Gin Awards. Yes. It was Meet the Distillers of uh, the Top 10 Scottish Gins. And I met some absolutely incredible people there. Wonderful people. There was Eden Mill was there. There was uh, Isla Harris, obviously. There was... Um, who else was there? Pickerings. Mm. They were there. I tried their, oh, their grapefruit and lemongrass. Oh, that was divine. Really? We'll have to get our hands on some of that. So good, yeah. So, Eden Mill were the overall winners, weren't they, of the Scottish Gin yes, Awards? Yes, yes. But... I would argue that, though, because, uh, I mean, the, the, it's a very good gin. I love Eden Mill. Yeah, it's a great gin, but... Isle of, Har- this it won the, the, Isle of Harris won the day for you, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, like it, it took us. Like I've tried it before. I tried. I tried it before then, but I think I must have had it walked down with a bad tonic or something. I, I tried it. and I was like, yeah, it's nice, and it was nice. It was still nice, but when I had it there at the tasting, never had anything like it. Yeah, and you came back with a bottle saying, "Oh my yeah. god, this is the best thing." So I mean, it smells like it smell like it's like being at the beach. It's like breathing in next to is. the beach. It is. Oh, so you can smell the sand. It transports yeah, you, you, doesn't it? You can smell the sand. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. So we're going to go after this section to a brief interview that Matthew did. Um, yes. The uh, brand ambassador for Isle of Harris Gin kindly spoke to us a little bit about the brand and the product and what goes into it. But we're going to talk a bit about the gin between us mm-hmm. first. Now, Matthew, I've done some research on this and I've come with a few facts that you might not know. Fact me up. Gin facts. Gin facts. So, it's distilled in a small copper pot still. In your face, knew that. Yeah, did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, did you know that the still is called the Dotach? No, I did not. Okay, uh, you've, you've won that round. It's named after a similarly fiery and feisty local woman. Oh, oh mm. there you go. Yeah, it's botanicals, and this is heavily pulled from the Isle of yeah. House website. <laughs> yeah. So if this sounds like marketing talk, it is. Yes. It's botanicals seek to capture the nature of the Isle of Harris itself, particularly, particularly the maritime influence. So... You have family on the Isle of Harris, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. You've been there. Yes, I've Tell been there. Tell us a bit about the Isle of Harris itself. It's so green. Yeah. It's so lovely. And the beaches are pristine. Mm. We're called one of the uh, one of the beaches, uh, when we went up there, me and my brothers, we called it Cheeky Seal Beach. Why? Because there was a seal that kept putting a tail out to see if we were about, and they just kept going, hey, <laughs> then disappearing again. What a cheeky seal. <laughs> there's all kinds of wildlife. There's puffins. Is there Eagles. Puffins? Yeah, puffins. Uh, there's e- I, I, I never saw puffins. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll say that, but I saw an eagle just flew over the car like like it wasn't an eagle. Like it was just all right to be there. <laughs> like it just did. It was just like, I'm not even an eagle. What are you even looking at? <laughs> yeah, I'm an eagle. Get over yourself. And I was like, is that an eagle? And my auntie was like, yeah, what's your problem? I was like, it's an eagle. Stags. Well, the, the wildlife. It's, whales and it's, dolphins. Yeah. Whales and dolphins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was it was 
just one of the most beautiful places on earth. Yeah, and for anyone not familiar with Scottish geography, the Isle of Harris is way up. It's an island. It is. Uh, it's about as far north in Britain as you can yeah. get. Almost. You go to Ullapool and you get the ferry over, which is hell on earth. Yeah. It was supposed to be two hours fifteen, two hours thirty. It took three hours when I was on. I think you mentioned this in your interview with the... Uh... And didn't stop running. No, no. Now, unlike many gin makers, their distillers discard instead of recycling the heads and tails of the spirit run, leaving only the very best of the distillate's heart. Now, don't Cotswolds do the same? I think they do, yes. Yeah. That's, it seems to be the, bit of it, the best gin, I'm yeah. afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Getting rid of the crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Now, let's talk a bit about the bottle. It's stunning. It's it's like, I mean, I think I saw some of them going quite expensive on eBay, just the empty bottles. Just the empty bottles, I mean, yeah. Hendrix bottles, people transform them into lights and stuff yeah. like that. And, uh, like, all of, because all of, all of, there's some really lovely fancy gins yeah. bottles. But uh, this one, it's something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's rippled. It's got this kind of diagonal ripple on it, kind of like the choppy seas of Luscantire. Um, now, the, on the website, they describe it as a gentle azure rising from its depths. The bottom's and blue. The bo- Yeah. So <laughs> That's the, what that means. Well, yeah, so the bottom's kind of blue-green, and it does give this kind of... Yeah, it's yeah. like looking down into a really clear sea, isn't yeah. it? And... Um, each label is uh, absolutely individual. Unique. Yeah, yeah. It's got flecks of uh, fragments of copper leaf and sugar kelp. The subtle imperfections in the bottle, dimples and dips to hold it safely as you mm-hmm. pour a generous measure. Now, I believe that this bottle it's actually made in Yorkshire. I believe so, oh, down in England, and it it's in quite short supply. So I think they sometimes have to pause production while they wait for their beautiful bottles to be made by this small Yorkshire company if I've got that right Um, if not don't at me (laughs) now Matthew put the cork firmly in please could you turn the bottle upside down for me please it is upside down read me what it says on the bottom it says Essie Mm -hmm. Quam yep Vidari Videri, yep, essay quam videri. Now, this phrase appears in Cicero's essay on friendship, and it means to be rather than to seem. So the whole sentence, which I won't attempt in Latin, reads, Few are those who wish to be endowed with virtue rather than to seem so. So the distillery don't explain exactly what this means to them, but to me it suggests authenticity and integrity. I we're really not like that. Uh, like, yeah, like uh, we might have a fancy bottle, but what's inside is really nice yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm dead handsome. Yeah, but and you might think, oh, inside. He seems handsome, yeah. but inside. Oh, terrible, ugly man. <laughs> yeah. Now turn the bottle back over and read what's on the top. Please. Turned, and it's it looks very much like. Uh, Coordinates. It is coordinates. It's the coordinates of the distillery. So, what if I was a if, if I was a German bomber? Oh, eh? hey, hey, disaster! I know. So, the fools. Fifty-seven degrees by fifty-three degrees north, six degrees by forty-eight de- degrees west. Um, now. Type those coordinates into Google Maps, or actually, just in Google Maps, just type in. Isle of Harris Distillery, that would be be easier, yeah, Yeah. and have a look, drop the pin in the map, go to Street View and have a look, because 
it's absolutely beautiful everything just clicks into place about this gin you just you see this gorgeous bay with mm. the little fishing boats in it and these dark brooding mm. hills all around it it is absolutely stunning so the islanders of the Isle of Harris have a deep historic bond with the sea, apparently. So for generations, their community has fished the waters around the Outer Hebrides, enjoying the freshest catches from the pristine seas. Yes, every time me and mother used to visit there a lot, and she says they always went for seafood, says it was just the best she's ever had. Really? Yeah. And yeah, it, they do suggest that you pair this with seafood, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't eat fish. I don't eat fish. So pointless, that. But yeah. yeah. But uh, I think I believe they also do a lot of work in the community with the local fishermen yes, and that do, kind they, of thing. I think it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, community spirited uh, yes. business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and which they, is great. I love that. Yeah, and they do call themselves the social distillery. So uh, six days a week, they open their doors to welcome visitors, and there's always a peat fire burning in the heart of the building. Why aren't we up there now? I know, I know. And apparently on the night they opened, they threw the biggest Cayley the Isle of Harris had ever seen with hundreds of local friends and family joining in for a night of music, song and dancing in the distillery warehouse. So it is, it's 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 very tightly rooted in the community. Yeah. And it, it's, just, it's just one of the best gins I've ever, ever tasted. Yeah, yeah. Um, so perfect serve apparently is with a few drops of their sugar kelp aromatic water now when you went to this event did you try it with the aromatic yes, I did. water yes, what I was did. it like it made it a little bit too flavorsome it took it was away it almost from, too much yeah it was yeah. too much i was like it was it was delicious but it was like i was like oh it's all that taste is that water that they put in yeah but i mean like if if you like the flavor to the degree that you could do it's yeah. it's it's perfect, but it's, uh, I think it's quite dear if you if you end up uh, getting all of It's about twenty five quid for the ti- the for little the, bottle, for the tincture. The tincture. Yeah. But I haven't tried it with the sugar um, kelp aromatic water. I've tried it on its own. For me, I, I just can't see that it needs anything else. No, it doesn't. Uh, just, just a nice tonic, like a, a clear tonic. Don't put a flavour tonic in. No, at no, all. no. Please don't, don't touch it with anything. Well, you know, if if you want, if you want to do, but I would say at least first yeah. try it. Even just try it. Try it try, neat. Try it neat. Just, yeah. to, just to, it's. I've never known anything be like something else more than it is. Yeah. Like to take like a liquid to be like standing at the beach yeah <laughs> I've never known anything like it it, is, it isn't inter- I know it sounds proper wanky as well to say that yeah to go like oh it's, it transports it. it it genuinely does yeah like as soon as it hits your tongue you go if you if you like close your eyes and go <gasps> and breathe in it's like you it's like you're taking a yeah. A, a mouthful of sea yeah. yeah it's crazy yeah it is now I've got some tasting notes here which I'm not going to show you okay. um, because I want you to taste it and tell me what kind of, for, for the listeners um, what kind of notes you're getting in there and then I'm going to pe- compare that to the notes that they've given us and we'll see how they compare okay then right a little bit of ice there mm. ice that's a good mixer just a bit of ice just a bit of ice right but you, wait, have we, we've put some tonic in there, yeah. haven't we? Right. It tastes like fur. There's a bit of fur, fur? in there. Fur? Like, yeah. Otter fur? No, no, fur is in F-I-R. Oh, okay. Like a pine. Piney. Okay, yeah. interesting, yeah. The citrus in there, definitely. It's a florally citrus. But it's the... 
I think I know fine well that they put like sugar kelp in it. Yeah. So you're really. And I think that, that that's what that's what I get more than anything. It's yeah. the it's the it's like fresh seaweed, not the ming and stuff that's wrapped up on the beach covered yeah. in flies. It's the yeah. it's when it comes in from the sea and it's yeah. like if you're anywhere near it, the leathery mm. kind of uh, beautiful like briny smell mm. from that. That's what I'm getting. I wonder mm. what it would be like with, with sushi. Now, I know you don't eat sushi. No. But I sometimes have like vegetarian sushi and it's got the little bit of seaweed wrapped around the outside of the rice. And mm. I can imagine this going incredibly well with sushi. Yeah. But, I mean, well done on spotting the pine needles. Mm. That's listed there. Um, the citrus, they list bitter orange, lime and grapefruit. They also mentioned rose, green herbs, not coriander. Not getting rose at all. I'm not getting rose at all. Really? No. Green herbs, coriander, gooseberry, mixed gooseberry. spice and sugar kelp. Not getting gooseberry. I'm not sure what the other spices. There could be a bit of... Could be a bit more... Um, I'm not sure what the spice... try? Yep. Yeah. Maybe a bit of cumin and cardamom. I've got the palate of a five-year-old. Mm. Um... So for me, uh, juniper and and the sugar kelp, that's that's what I'm getting. Mm. Yeah. But well done for getting the citrus in there. Because mm. my, my unsophisticated palate doesn't... Gives really. you a little tingle afterwards, like the, um, like citric acid on your tongue. Makes mm. it go, mm. Mm. It's boss, But it's... I, I mean, I couldn't possibly recommend this highly enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, well... It's tricky to get hold of, though. It is a bit tricky to get hold of. We're, we're in England and um, I work in Scotland, so I managed to pick up a bottle of this the other day in Edinburgh. But it is kind of quite tricky to get hold of in the in England. Um, I mean, you can order it online, can't you? Yes. Yeah. It's And it's, it's not... Which is good. It shouldn't be a cheap gin because no. it's obviously very well made. I think I paid are... about £50 for this yes. 70 centilitre bottle. But do you know what? Oh my God, it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, it is worth it. It's, it's like, you know... Because it's not something you drink en masse. No. You'll not drink a bottle in a night. Just... No, you won't. No, no, no. That would be like eating caviar for breakfast, lunch, dinner and Yeah, exactly. Pudding. It's just a special treat. Yeah. Okay, well, Matthew, shall we go over to the interview and see what the brand themselves Let's see to what I said it? to her. Yes. Even though I was there. <laughs> right, we're here with Iona Cairns from the Isle of Harris Gin. Hello, Iona. Hello. Thank you very much for coming along and, no, uh, and uh, taking time out of uh, that very busy room that <laughs> is know. hotter than the sun. <laughs> it's roasting. Yeah, and it's really, but everyone's drinking more, <laughs> which is always good. Uh, so you work for the Isle of Harrison. What do you do for them? I do. I'm the brand ambassador um, for Scotland. For, oh. for the entirety of Scotland? Well, mainly the West Coast, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm based in Glasgow, um, and my colleague Claire, who's just started, she'll be based in Edinburgh, and she'll be sort of covering the east side, um, and I'm focusing on the on the west. And then we also have um, Rachel, who's down in London, um, and she covers England. Yeah. So there's only three main land workers at the moment, um, and the rest are all on the distillery in Tarbot. Oh, that's... Oh, over, over there. I mean, yes. I'm, it over there, and uh, like, I've tried your gin before, and it is genuinely one of the best oh, gins good. I've ever tasted. It is so good. <laughs> Glad but to hear it. 
So um, all of the ingredients are locally sourced? Well, we have our main uh, botanical is the sugar kale, yeah. um, and it is it is locally sourced. Um, we have our diver, Lewis McKenzie, Just who one. we're very fortunate for. We're very fortunate for him, because without him, uh, we wouldn't have so much of that beautiful sugar kelp, which um, gives our gin the distinctive taste. Yeah. So he dives off the coast of Harris and Lewis um, for that. That's and then a lot it goes, of for gin, isn't it? It so is, getting, getting it your is. equipment on every day, <laughs> swimming under the... Absolutely. What is it icy cold water? <laughs> I know, and we're very fortunate. I and mean, then it goes up to Stornoway and it gets dried up there. That's where she lives. And then, Stornoway. Stornoway. Yes. <laughs> and then it comes down to the distillery in Harris, um, and that's where we, we, we use it um, in the distilling process. And that gives a nice coastal um, taste or it, it does. It's like drinking the smell of the seaside. Yeah. But that's how it goes. In a much nicer a way. way. You know, like from the breeze, from the sea. That's how it's <laughs> So uh, what process do you use to distill the... Uh... So we, when we're distilling, um, we distill on, on Harris, yeah. as you know, anyway, it all, all happens in there. Um, and we use, we've got some other botanicals and sugar kelp being the main one. Um, and that goes, goes through the distill. Um, the sugar kelp actually gets taken out, so it doesn't go through the distill itself, just because it, it does have that distinctive um, taste. So it can't be left in too long, otherwise it would oh, be yeah. too we, strong. We, we learned that lesson uh, with uh, coconut. Oh. And it went off and we drank it and yeah. nearly died. <laughs> so it, it comes out so it's infused through the gym it comes out just before yeah um that but we we sort of people that look like the flavor that's why we created our aromatic water um and oh we, yeah i saw all kinds of potions and lotions yeah. <laughs> so it's part of our perfect serve and um, you can put you only need a couple of drops so the benefit of that is that the bottle actually can last you for ages um because you're only using a couple of drops at a time and that enhances the the sugar kelp um sort of taste into your into your gin so if you like that then that's a way of yeah yeah i, I tried it, it with so. the two drops and it was beautiful yeah. absolutely beautiful yeah, yeah. So it, it wasn't sweet. too like because obviously you think sugar can't be oh that'll be sweet but it's, it's, it's just the right side of the sweet it's, it's lovely and people have different palates and have different um, opinions of it and different it changes it in different ways a lot of people think it's sort of smooth to gin out and um but it is really to enhance that nice sort of coastal effect um that Gen we go hands, for <laughs> if uh, you will. yeah <laughs> that's lovely and um so what plans have you got going forward with uh, Question: well, Is there anything anything on the horizon? Well, we, um, as you know, we're first and foremost a whisky distillery. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Herrick will be our whisky. So that's mm-hmm. very much looking forward to launching that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, it's maturing and it's cast. Um, How long was, has that got left? Yes, I know. Well, I was just in Harris um, a few days ago, actually, um, at the start of this week, and it's. Oh, we've seen all the casts and it's maturing in such a beautiful location. So, you know, we're ready when it's ready and we're we're lucky with the gin um, success that there's no rush to bottle the whiskey yet. Yeah. So um, we'll see. We'll just see how we want to make it yes. absolutely perfect before we bottle it. But yeah. I was lucky, along with the other brand ambassadors, to get a wee taste. Um, the first cast was officially three years old on the 21st of December. Um, just there so we got a wee sample taste and so far so good but yeah. we are going to leave it um, and time will tell that's but amazing it's exciting yes, yeah, it is looking it. forward to it it's, 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 it's uh, something like that where you're waiting it's like a little time capsule you wait and you die to see uh, how it goes <laughs> absolutely that sounds so. incredible so uh, you go up to Stornoway on the boat or you fly up um, I flew actually yes, I flew I to Stornoway because <laughs> I got the boat last time I went up and I Vomited all the way because oh, no. I am the worst sailor <laughs> in the world. Oh, it would no. seem. It can be quite a journey if you don't like the boats. Then oh but... god, it was a. I think it was a. It was a really choppy day as well. It took yeah. like an extra forty minutes. Oh. I was. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy with it. So, um, why do you think? Because I've asked. I've asked uh, other people. Why do you think the Scottish gin industry is so strong? 
Oh, that's a tough question. I think that, um, you know, we're lucky. We've come at a really nice time where gin has become trendy, in a mm-hmm. sense. It's become really popular. Um, we only have to look upstairs and see all these wonderful gins round about us. Yeah. Um, I think people are really enjoying everything you can do with gin as well. There's been so many um, new craft gins on the market um, from, you know, from rural locations in Scotland, from the islands, from, yep. from the Central Belt, anywhere. And everyone's different. And I think it's so nice to have the variety and... I think bartenders are getting creative with gin cocktails and um, martinis and different and different things we can do with gin, and I think it's enhanced the appeal um, for for me and yeah. um, for by the looks of well, the, the, here. Industry <laughs> and, uh, the industry. Yeah, it's, it's a growing industry, percent. which is great. Oh, it's, it's 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 never stopped. I mean, it was yeah. uh, one point two million, then it's gone up to nearly two billion. It's fantastic. So, right, objectively, your gin doesn't exist. What's your favourite gin? Oh, another tough one. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, okay. Well, if, if Harris doesn't exist, if Harris, um, if I'm not allowed to choose Harris, no, you're not allowed to choose. Harris. I'm not allowed to choose it. So other gins, um, I like quite a lot actually. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I like um, supporting the islands. So yeah. Tyree gin, um, I like. I like it. Um, and a good friend of mine actually is the, the man behind that, so I need to support him. And also uh, my granny from Barra, so I've, I quite like the Barra gin as yeah, well. So. Gin, yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. um, and of course, and there's so many good ones in the market. Oh, there is, you know, there's, it's like hard it. to choose. And even today, I've tried some the ones upstairs. Yeah, um, I've tried some upstairs. There's some there, some beautiful. Really I, nice. I Harris is one of my favourite gins. Oh, like, it's absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I thank hope, you. Uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, I'll be buying a bottle of your gin before Oh, then. good, good. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank Cheers now. Thank you. Gin News headlines today. Bend it like Brockman's gin more popular than David Beckham. First Glass Trains, Classy Lady Drinking Gin becomes Icon. And Equal Measures, Pride London releases a gin to help with the festival. Now, Whitley Nail has done a survey Hmm. all about uh, tags on the internet, on social media. And gin has come out ahead of quite a lot of popular things. Including, I'm guessing, David Beckham. Yes, David Beckham. That was the number one uh, that they mentioned, which is odd because I don't think David Beckham's got to be mentioned that much, has he? No, if they'd looked at Kim Kardashian or... Yeah, something like that. I think it might have been beaten. Beyonce. Yeah. Yeah. But still, uh, 8.4 million mentions, which is quite impressive. Beckham, 1.9. Keep up, mate. Yeah. And if you like, he does whiskey, doesn't he? He, he does do a whiskey. We talked about that last week. Yes, yeah, I wonder if he's uh, considering doing a gin. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, David, we will um, we'll have a word with you about what the best kind of gin is, and uh, we'll sort it out. And yeah, we'll, we'll do an, an interview with you. Yes, yes. Uh, it also beat the Beatles. Oh, who are more popular than Jesus? Apparently, yeah. yeah <laughs> pretty sure Jesus got a couple of mentions on the internet, and um, Wimbledon. It beat Wimbledon. Yes, and I'm pretty sure Wimbledon's going to be a pretty gin-soaked. Yeah, although I bet if you redid the survey in a few weeks' time... Yes. When's Wimbledon? Coming up. Coming up soon, yeah, in a few uh, weeks. Queen's is on at the minute, I think. So yeah, it's things like Gin O'Clock mm. and um, uh, Gin Credible, which I called for me shows, whatever. They're steal me tags. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, they are all becoming very popular. So uh, yeah, that's why Gin's getting a lot of mentions. Good for Gin. Taking over social media as well as just my life. <laughs> so, Send help. <laughs> so next story is First Glass Trains. There was a photograph of a lady who looked very classy in massive sunglasses, hair slicked back, lovely black outfit, 
socks and sandals. Oh. But she was drinking pink gin out of a can. Yeah. From a wine glass on the tube, which is illegal, but she looked classy yes. while she did it. I love it. Yeah, she looked absolutely incredible. Thing is, though, that's exactly what we try to encapsulate. Yeah. Where it's like common meets glamour. Yeah. Because like, gin's got the, it's got a glamorous background. And we're common. Yeah. Oh, we are. Borderline scum. <laughs> uh, and it's it's just nice to see that uh, there's a lady just acting like uh, Jennifer Saunders from Absolutely Fabulous, just Aww. with her legs crossed on the, on the tube, just enjoying a pink gin with massive sunglasses and on. And sandals and socks. Yeah, doesn't. Doesn't give a shit. Good. Good on her. So she's become a bit of a viral She sensation. has just become a viral sensation. She was on the Northern Line. I'm pretty sure she's going to get found by some gin company and used as some sort of uh, yeah. advertising thing. Yeah. But, but I, th- I think uh, she doesn't want to get caught because she will get fined for uh, drinking on the tube. Oh, well. Remember she's... Diane Abbott did it? And she, there was a bit of a... There was hell on about that. That's very true. Yep. Was Diane Abbott drinking gin? No, it was. she was drinking more heat also. Oh, okay. It's her own fault, really. If she'd been drinking gin, she would have been seen as classier. Exactly. And probably, probably won the election become president of the United States. <laughs> Just drink gin, people. It works out better for you in the long run. Yeah. And equal measures. The people behind Pride London have released a gin, rainbow coloured. Not the gin, the bottle. Right, yeah. <laughs> that would be That'd very be impressive. Yeah, that would be... Actually, I'll get to that in a minute, but um, they've released it because uh, they want to keep Pride free for all. Mm. And that's that's happening very soon in London, in July. I believe, I think it's... Is it the 7th? 5th or 7th, I think it is. And... Um, it's the mass. I mean, it's a really massive deal, so it's got to cost a lot. Yeah. And they've only got 150 volunteers. Wow. Yeah. So they need a lot of money, and they've, they've put in so many man hours. I think they've worked it out that if they were to pay these people, it would cost something like 7.9 million. Oh my word. <laughs> or something like that. Something God, stupid. Hats off to those volunteers. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a thankless task when you've got some of the, when you, when Twitter's allowed to have everybody on on board. <laughs> yeah. So well done for sticking. And uh, they've released a, they've released a delightful um. A, a, a cheeky little citrus gin. Ooh. Yes, uh, it's called Pride Gin. Yeah. Clever. See yes, what they've done there. See what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. It's available. It's uh, it's available around bars in Soho, uh, Harvey Nicks as well, and other outlets. Keeping the festival free for all. It's lovely. That's a great idea. That's yeah. really lovely. Oh well, we'll see if we can get hold of some of that. Yes, it's uh, it's it's priced twenty five to thirty six. Harvey Nicks spent uh, costing a little bit more because you know. But that's very reasonable. Yeah, it's actually. not bad at all. No, and they suggest a Rainbow Revolt cocktail. Which is uh, one part grenadine, uh, two parts pineapple, two parts gin, and uh, one part blue cacao. Curacao? 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 I don't know. It's it sounds like a farm animal, mm. a cow or a sow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently, it makes it. Like, you put it over crushed ice and you pour them in one at a time, and it makes a rainbow cocktail. Oh, that sounds amazing! And then you can get hammered. Yay! Yay! And go to Pride and have a great day. Yeah, and dancing with loads of with loads of shiny muscled men. Yeah, <laughs> as is my understanding <laughs> of Pride festival ever. I've seen on the telly. Yeah. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. So that's this week's gin news. That yeah. was an exciting episode. It was. I say exciting. It was, it was a very good episode, wasn't it? We enjoyed it. Yes, I did. I, I've learned a lot about Genevieve and Prohibition last than 66 years. I hope you've learned a lot as well, especially about Jethro's seed drill. Seed drill, yeah. I think if, if we take away anything from this episode... Jethro Tull invented the, the seed yes, drill. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, That's all I learned from the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. 
Um, welcome to all of our new listeners. We've had tons of new listeners following yes, our World we do Gym Day special. That. So thank you very much for that. Start from the beginning. Come all the way through with us. Yeah, do. Go back to the beginning. Um, we have upped our production methods since yeah, the right. beginning. And please get in touch with us. We want to know who you are. Like, what... Yeah we've, got a hundred, yeah, we've got a hundred social media ways to get in touch with us. Just get in touch with us and uh, let us know what you'd like to hear on the programme. Yeah. If, you, if you're involved in the gin business, get in touch and we'll involve you in the programme. Uh, yeah, that would be an absolute delight. Yep, tell us what your favourite gins are if you want us to do a tasting or you want us to do an interview mm-hmm. with uh, your favourite distiller. Let us know, we'll make it happen. Try and beat Isla Harris. That's my challenge to you. Try yeah. and find me a gin that I'll prefer to Isla Harris. Or Harris. indeed Baharat, which I've been absolutely loving Yes, Baharat loving is absolutely today. gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we will see you next time. Yes, well, thank you very much for joining us again and yep. uh, see you in episode 23. Until then. Chin chin. Mother's Room Podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Kotsier.